you turn to your neighbor and say, God has made a way? Now turn to the neighbor on the other side. Let him know, God has made a way. Man, our God is faithful. He is always making a way for us to come to faith, first of all, to Jesus, and then second of all, to walk in that faith. So, man, I'm thrilled to be with you all opening God's word. I'm Pastor Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. If you don't know me, I look forward to getting to know you. Um, Man, what Erica was saying about the kids' discipleship with the Brook kids is pivotal. It is pivotal to have other voices from the church family speaking into the lives of our kids. I mean, many of us remember the formidable influences of people on our lives from our earliest years. Kindergarten. You guys remember your kindergarten teacher? How many of you guys had a good kindergarten teacher? How many of you said I'm trying to forget my kindergarten teacher? That's right. But, man, those, that three- to six-year-old age group is so pivotal. So, we're, man, I'm so glad we get to start that back up for our Brook kids. Um, it thrills, thrills me. So our leadership team, our Brook kids leadership team has done an amazing job preparing things, the classroom. So definitely sign up to help out. We need you. We need you all to help out with the Brook kids. We need more teachers, more people to help the teachers because the more people serve, the bigger the rotations get, and the more voices of influence in our kids' lives. And so that's something that we really want to keep pressing upon you. Yeah, thank you for that, for sure. Well, this weekend, Pastor Jeremy and Angelica are not in Chicago. They are in West Palm Beach, Florida. No, they haven't moved yet. They haven't moved yet. But um, for you guys who don't know, Pastor Jeremy, the, the pastor of multiplication here at the Brook, who's been with us since before day one, uh, he and his wife have received a call from God to plant a church, a new church in West Palm Beach, Florida, to open God willing next fall of 2022. But that's a lot of work ahead of them. So they went out, they went out there this weekend to do kind of a vision trip, sow some seeds, get ready, have some conversations, um, support raise. And church, I want to say this in their absence so that in their presence they feel it. Church, we are going to support them as a church. We're going to support them. Collectively as a church, our elders, and we won't share this with you just yet, but we have decided already what kind of financial support we're going to give them. And I know it's going to be significant. And we want to encourage you as individuals, though, to support them, to give above and beyond, to continue to give to the work that's going on here at the Brook because we need that. But to say, God, I want to go above and beyond what I'm already giving to trust you to provide this for me to be a provision for them. And so I know the owners are working hard. I know they're, they feel that pressure. If you've never support raised, um, Erica and I did this for three years where we lived completely off of people's generosities, um, giving. And it's, it's, it's a faith-stretching experience. And the owners are about to jump right into that. So let's make sure that they know that they got some teammates in this fight. Well, as Erica mentioned this past week during our grip training, we had a pillow fight up here, y'all. We had a pillow fight on this stage. It was pretty amazing, especially to see uh, Bruce and Debbie Olson, the, 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 the senior saints in our church family, wielding the pillowcases. Yesterday, something quite interesting happened, not here in Chicago, but in Nebraska. There wasn't a pillow fight, but a pool noodle fight. Did you guys see the headline about this? There was a massive pool noodle fight in Nebraska yesterday. This is how it went down. A guy by the name of Josh... Yep. Started a group on Facebook and started reaching out to other people named Josh. And basically he said, you know, I want to, I want to demonstrate that I'm the greatest Josh in the world or something to this effect. 
And so they started this group-friendly chat and said, all right, here are the coordinates to a park in Nebraska. True story. Let's meet on this day with your pool noodles, and we're going to wage a pool noodle war to find out who is the top Josh in the country. So hundreds of people with the name Josh showed up in Nebraska yesterday. People from Wichita, Kansas, from Dallas, from different parts of Minnesota and Omaha itself, and they fought out to who would win the name Josh. And it turns out that a five-year-old boy named Josh was the winner of the pool noodle fight. I hear that struggle because we got a number of Joshes here at the brook. And you have to start differentiating how you are going to separate one Josh from the other. The struggle is real, isn't it, bro? You've been there, right? So the truth is when those Joshes got together, they all had that in common, that they were Joshes. But they were quite different. One guy came in, and he was known as Big Josh. There was a little Josh. There was Spider-Man Josh. And there was all other kinds of Joshes. One name, but differences among them. And that very thing actually is the same detail given in the Bible for us who are part of the church. We have the name Christian, Christ follower, but we're different, church. We're different from one another, but here's the big thing. There's something that separates us from the rest of the world. Just like everyone else is separated from the Joshes. I'm not a Josh. I didn't get invited to that fight, y'all. Something was different from us. And the same is true from those who are followers of Jesus. We are Christians, but we are different actually from the world around us. And this is an important distinction that we all have to understand. Maybe today you are not a Christian yet. And by Christian, we mean not just someone who says, I was raised in the church, or someone who is familiar with Christian teaching. But a Christian is someone who has put their faith in Jesus, believing that he has died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead to give them victory. And that they have devoted their lives to following him as the Lord and master of their life. That's a Christian. And Christians are different, not because we're better. We're not better, church. We're not holier. We're not smarter. In fact, we are quite normal And on the other hand, we're quite different. See, the difference in us is not inherently with us as people, but that what separates us is not what's part of us, but who is in us. I want us to understand something. When we become a follower of Jesus, God himself takes residency within us in our lives. Not because we're better, holier, stronger, or smarter, but because we have been saved by his kindness. And now we are different. God lives in us. And to be more specific, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And he is the difference maker. The difference maker is not us, but is in us. The difference maker has made us different because God has brought us to this place where he's forgiven us and given us a new life. If you are a child of God today, I want you to understand that you're different and God the Spirit dwells within you. Over the past several weeks, we had a different plan of what to preach today. But over this time and talking with different leaders in our church, I really sensed that God was calling us as a church family to 
changed up the plans from what I was going to be preaching to instead do a mini-series here, maybe more of an extended series here, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of us as children of God. The Holy Spirit is God, and he lives in every child of God. But there's oftentimes a lot of confusion or misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. Because let's be honest, he's mysterious. But we see in the Bible when Samson is filled with the Holy Spirit, he is given supernatural strength where it tells us in the book of Judges that he tears apart a lion with his bare hands, empowered by the Spirit. Some of you are like, this is going to get exciting. King David, empowered by the Spirit, was able to rule over God's people with goodness. In Acts chapter 2, we have what's called the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down from heaven as a flames of fiery tongues and comes upon the children of God. And they begin to speak languages from the entire region, languages they did not know beforehand. Why? Because the Spirit of God empowered them to testify about the power of God. When the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he was able to speak with a kind of boldness, which 40 days earlier he denied Jesus out of fear. 40 days later he's able to preach with power. Why? The Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized by the Spirit at his baptism, led into the wilderness, and began his ministry on earth with power. The Holy Spirit is a difference maker. Can you say difference maker? Here's the thing. This same Holy Spirit dwells within you if you are a child of God today. You ain't the same, church. There's something different about you. But here's the thing. The Spirit of God is mysterious. Can you say mysterious? Just think about the ways he's described in the Bible. He's described as a fire. Now, you've been at campfires before or even a fire pit in your backyard. Sometimes you can sit and look at a fire and almost be mesmerized by it. You know what I mean? Because you see the flames just going. You can't predict where it's going to go, but you know the flame is there burning. So it is with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is described to be like water, where Jesus says fountains of living water will flow from our hearts, and it says that it's supposed to speak, it speaks of the Spirit of God, Jesus is speaking. Same thing with water. Water can't be grasped, but we know it's there. The Spirit is likened to wind, where the wind blows where it wants, and so does the Spirit move. We can't see the wind, but we know it's there. It's mysterious. The Spirit is likened to oil when John speaks of an anointing that comes upon the children of God an oil similarly to water cannot be grasped in the same way the spirit of God is mysterious he he, he's hard to really understand and wrap our minds around but we know he's there we know he's working and he is within us we need to know the spirit of God church We need to understand the Holy Spirit and his work because as we come to understand him, we begin to understand our own identity as children of God. Now, if you come today as one who's still exploring the faith, I want you to understand that God offers his Holy Spirit to you if you would first put your faith in Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
So for our passage today, and I'm excited about this, we're going to jump into the book of John chapter 16. And this passage will launch us into this series where we'll talk about things like what it means to live a life filled with the Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and spiritual warfare in a few weeks. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and sexual temptation in a few weeks. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the empowerment of the Spirit to do great things for God and so forth. The Spirit of God is at work. And church, today we're going to see the kind of work he wants to do. If you can, would you meet me in John 16, verses 4 and following, and rise to your feet as I dive into God's word. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit is the difference maker, making a difference in our lives. Starting there in verse 4 of John chapter 16. Jesus himself is speaking. He says, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Can you say your advantage? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. Notice that. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, And declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to speak. Holy Spirit, fill me with your power and grant us ears to hear and eyes to see for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We come to John chapter 16. In this passage, Jesus is giving his farewell speech to his disciples. John 13 through 17, Jesus is basically having his last talk with his followers. He's preparing them for what's ahead of them. And during this time, he makes wonderful, powerful statements. It's during this speech that Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's during this speech that Jesus tells the disciples that the world would know you by the way you love one another. It's during this speech that Jesus tells his disciples, brace yourselves, because just like they rejected me, they're going to reject you. And it's during this speech that Jesus says something so radical that it causes his disciples angst. Their point of pressure and anxiety is this. Jesus says to them, watch. He says, I'm leaving you. I'm going to be leaving. And the disciples are in turmoil. How can this be, Jesus? It's been three years with you. Like, you're you're leaving. Where are you going? How can you leave us? 
And Jesus tells them in John 13, 33, little children, yet a little while I'm with you, and where I'm going, you cannot come. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. He says, peace, I leave you. And the disciples are like, but where, where you know, how, how can you go? You can't, you can't leave us here. But then Jesus turns it up on, uh, 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 turns things around on them. And in verse 7 here that we just read, he says something that blows their minds. He says to them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So here Jesus is like, look, I'm going to leave you. But not only am I going to leave you, but it's actually for your benefit that I'm going to peace out. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes there for a moment. How could Jesus say, it's actually a good thing that I'm going to be leaving? The disciples are like, you turned water into wine. You cast out demons from oppressed people. You gave Bartimaeus sight. You raised Lazarus from the dead. You put a storm in time out, Jesus. We've seen what you're capable of. And you're telling us it is better for us that you leave us than stay with us? Let that sink in. What is going through their minds? Well, Jesus tells them in John 14, 18, he's like, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you, he says, as orphans. I'm not leaving you alone alone. I won't be here, but another will be here. And the one who's coming makes it better off that I go than if I stood. Look what he goes on to say. He says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, what Jesus is saying here is, in order for someone else to come, this helper to come to you, I've got to go first. Because my departure signals the helper's arrival. So now we need to understand who this helper is. And you're probably already guessing, like, that's the Holy Spirit, ain't that? Well, you're right about that. Why does Jesus call him the helper? Why does Jesus even tell them all that's going on in the first place? I want to back up just a moment. Jesus told them some hard truths here. And, And even as I was studying this, I was reminded, like, man, Jesus, he had to leave And that was hard, but he didn't abandon them. But even that principle, I want us to understand here, church. There are times we feel like God is not around us, but you need to understand God has not abandoned you. Just because you don't understand what God is doing doesn't mean that God is not doing something. And the disciples here are in that place of tension of, Jesus, you're abandoning me. But Jesus, I feel alone. And Jesus is like, you're not alone. I'm sending the helper. I love that word, helper. Some of your Bibles might say advocate. Some of your Bibles might say counselor or comforter. The truth of the matter is there's hardly a right enough English equivalent for the original Greek word for this word helper. The Greek word is paraclete. Can you say paraclete? Paraclete. Not parakeet. That's a bird. Paraclete. The word paraclete carries the idea of one who advocates for something, for someone else. It comes to the aid of another person. It helps out. It it comforts. It brings encouragement. It it brings strength. It, It carries all these ideas, and there is no really one English word that encapsulates it. So we just say paraclete. 
Jesus is saying, I'm going to go, and when I go, I'm going to send a paraclete to you, one who will advocate for you, one who will help you, one who will counsel you, one who will comfort you, one who will be with you. See, here's a big deal. Jesus' ministry in his earthly body was localized. He had the physical limitations of his humanity. But Jesus says, in order for something remarkable to come, I need you to understand this, that my localized limitations will now be replaced by a globalized presence. See, my, when, when I ascend into glory, I'm going to send the spirit who will be with you. And by you, I mean you plural, or in the south, you all. The Spirit of God can then be with every child of God in every place, through all time, everywhere. And Jesus is like, it's to your advantage that I go, because when I go, he's going to come, and when he comes, he will be with y'all. That's the paraclete. Jesus says in John 4, 6, 14, 16 of this paraclete, he says, And I will ask a father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. Jesus says in John 14, 26, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He is the spirit of truth in fifteen twenty six. Jesus is saying this is the one who is coming, and he makes all the difference. Well, what kind of difference does he make? Well, in order for us to understand the difference, we need to understand his personhood. Here's the first thing I want you to understand today, church. The Holy Spirit is eternal God, always with us and always in us. The Holy Spirit is eternal God. See, we as Bible-believing Christians believe that our God is triune, which means he is three yet one. The theological word we use for that is Trinity. Trinity is not found in the Bible, but that doesn't lessen or diminish its truthfulness. See, we call the Holy Spirit holy because he is holy. Who is holy except for God himself? The Holy Spirit is there at creation in Genesis 1, 1, and 2. The Holy Spirit created the world. The Holy Spirit put breath in your lungs. And according to Psalm 139, David says, Where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are there. The Holy Spirit is everywhere I am because he is God, omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is eternal God. And Jesus says this of the Spirit. I want you to see it here in chapter 14, verse 17 of, of John. Jesus says, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. And watch this. He will be in you. Notice those prepositions. He, will, he is with you and will be in you. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And if he was speaking to us, he, said, he would say, the Holy Spirit is with you and is in you. He is always with us and always in us because he is God. And his ministry, the Holy Spirit's ministry, is globalized. Jesus says he will send the Spirit. And that's what he does in Acts chapter 2. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're quite different because of this fact. The Spirit of God lives in us. And that's power. But what does his coming mean now for us as the church? 
There, there are three things here I want to press in on. As the eternal God who is always with us and in us, what does the Holy Spirit do? What Jesus goes on to say here in verse 8, when he comes, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's got some work to do when he comes, and he's doing this work right now. He will convict the world concerning three things. You notice those? Sin and righteousness and judgment. And then Jesus, helping us out, unpacks what he means. How will the Holy Spirit convict concerning sin? Well, he says, well, because people don't believe in me. Jesus is basically saying, when the Spirit comes, he's going to let the world know and expose to the world how they have rejected Jesus. That's part of his work. Secondly, he will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit will reveal to the world how the world's standard for goodness is not good enough. Nobody enters the kingdom of God because of what we did. All of us are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's work is to reveal how we can't be good enough. The Holy Spirit also convicts concerning judgment, verse 11. Because the ruler of this world is judged. Basically, the Spirit's going to reveal that those apart from Jesus will be judged. So what's the Spirit's work? Well, he's doing this. He's paving the way for life-changing gospel transformation. This is what God, the Holy Spirit, does. He comes into the world in Acts chapter 2, and he continues to do this. Causing people like you and me to realize that we have this thing called sin. The Holy Spirit is like a prosecutor in God's judicial system. And his goal is to expose to you and to me how guilty we are before God. But the Holy Spirit's intention is not then to imprison us in our guilt, nor is his intention to rehabilitate us in our sin. His intention is to expose our guilt in order to give us a new creation, to make us a new creation. He's not trying to fix the sin we've done. He's trying to make us brand new. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has what? The new has come. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do in this world. And so what he actually is doing by exposing our guilt is actually showing God's kindness to us. Because until we know how far we are from God, we don't know we need his forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit says, I got you. I'm about to pave the way. I'm going to show up and do this work to let you see how badly you need Jesus. Just think about your own story. Think about the ways that the Holy Spirit showed up early, began to pave the way in your heart. Usually it shows up, uh, the Holy Spirit's work shows up in the form of you becoming aware of your sin. You can start being aware of like, man, I'm a pretty filthy person in my heart. Then you start realizing your good works aren't good enough. You know, I tried, but I can't try my way into glory. I can't try my way into God's presence. And then you start feeling the weight of condemnation. You know, man, if I can't try my way to God, 
then I'm separated from him. That progression is the Holy Spirit paving the way in your heart. You see, we think about the day and the moment you might have put your faith in Jesus. That was a moment, if you remember it, you may not. But God was doing something long before that moment happened. A couple years ago, we had the opportunity of going to the auto show. Have you ever been to the Chicago Auto Show at the McCormick Place? It is, uh, it's a masterpiece of a, of a presentation. You show up, there are about a thousand cars on display. This, this is what happens in the auto show. On the day one, they begin to set up the booths. By day four, the first freights arrive with all the equipment. By day 13, the auto show is ready to roll. And during that time, there are all kinds of things showing up to prepare for this auto show. There's five miles of theatrical lighting that shows up. Nearly four miles of 10-foot carpets show up. And then you have the displays. You have all these things, the advertising, the promotion. And when you show up, you've come to something that has been prepared. And you might go there. You might not even think about all that went into it, but you're enjoying the moment of what came out of it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He is doing things in us even when we don't realize it's him doing it because he is preparing a way for the big event of you coming to faith in Jesus. That's how God did it for you if you put your faith in him. And maybe that's what God's doing for you today as you're here. You're saying, man, I, I see my sin. I realize I need Jesus. And I want you to know if that's what you're feeling, that means God the Spirit is working in you. He's preparing the way for life changing gospel transformation. He wants you to put your faith in Jesus today. That's the grace of the Spirit in the world around us, working. This is why we go always on mission, church. This is what excites me about our world relief mission fields. This is what excites me about serving our youth and our community because the Spirit of God is at work already in youth in our neighborhood that we don't know yet. He's already laying this foundation, and they're waiting for us to tell them that Jesus is the one to bring them forgiveness. You with me, church? And we get to be a part of that. That's the work the Spirit of God does. But he does more than that. We also see that the Spirit of God is a truth teller and teaches us the truth for us who are children of God. Look what it says in verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, the ministry of the spirit of God is to also bring the truths of God to bear in our lives as children of God. Because he lives in us, he wants to guide our steps. He wants to show us the truth. And we all know that around us are a lot of lies. Just think for a moment, what are some of those lies that are bombarding your mind? What are the messages that you hear in the world around you? Is it that God has abandoned you? That you're too far from God? That he won't forgive that sin? That he's not really there? That he's good but not good to you? We can hear the messages the grass is greener on the other side. 
And that's been the temptation for us always, is to exchange God's truth for the lies. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. I want to prop up the truth for you. In the Garden of Eden, Eve believed the lie that God was holding out on her. So she took the fruit. From his kingdom, David believed a lie that God was holding out on him. So he took Bathsheba. There where Jesus was being crucified, Peter believed the lie that God wouldn't sustain him. So he denied him. And we're all being tempted to believe the lies. But the Holy Spirit wants to prop up the truth. And here is the truth. That even when we've believed the lies, Eve got the hope that one of her children would save humanity. Even when David sinned, God kept him on his throne and have one who would reign in his place generations down the line. And even for Peter, God forgave him saying, do you love me? Okay, go feed my sheep. So yes, we believe lies sometimes, but Jesus says, no. The Spirit says, no, here is the truth. Walk in it. And here is the truth, that there is forgiveness through Jesus. He is the spirit of truth. And his truth is also revealed here in the Bible. How do we get our Bible, church? How do we get this thing that we hold in our hands and value so importantly? Well, we get it because God gave it to us. Now, some of you might be surprised. It didn't just fall out of heaven and just land all of a sudden one day. We're like, we got it. The way it came to us was actually through people writing it. Ordinary people like you and me and people not too ordinary just like you and me because they were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And then 1 Peter 1.21 says that the prophets led by the Spirit wrote the words. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who authors the Bible using humans to do so. Forty different authors, in fact. And there God has preserved his word, which now makes it reliable. It makes it relentless. And it could be reproduced as it has been. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he speaks today, even still, church. He speaks through the Bible. And he speaks to us as he confirms the truths of the word in our hearts and in our minds. God still speaks. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is a truth teller, and he teaches us the truth. But there's a third thing the Spirit does. And it says in verse 14, Jesus says, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit is the spotlight that's placed on Jesus. This is a significant point here, church. We talk a lot about Jesus here at the brook. And every time the cross of Jesus is exalted and the identity of Jesus is lifted high and his name is praised and worshiped, I want you to know something. When that is happening, we can know that the Holy Spirit is working among us. Because Jesus says, what about the Spirit? He will glorify me. So whenever Jesus is glorified, it's because the Spirit is doing the work of glorification. Now, I think sometimes we go wrong when we forget that we're glorifying Jesus because the Spirit is doing it. 
Church, I really want us to understand that as followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in us. He's working in us always. And we need to give him the credit and praise and glory that the Spirit of God deserves as he is exalting the name of Jesus among us. Some of our Christian or spiritual backgrounds have had a, a perception of the Spirit of God that is very arm's length, if you know what I mean. Maybe you've seen abuses of, of how people talk about the Spirit. Maybe there are fears because the Spirit is mysterious. The water, the oil, the fire, the wind, right? You with me? But just because we don't understand the work of the Spirit completely doesn't mean we should minimize His work. We as a church want to be a church of Spirit-filled and empowered children of God who make much of Jesus because of the Spirit's work in our lives. He is the spotlight. The Spirit of God is the spotlight on Jesus. And so when we look at the Old Testament and we see the hope of the Messiah coming, we know the Spirit is working there. When Eve is told that one of her descendants will crush the head of the serpent, we know the Spirit of God is working there. When we see that the angel Gabriel arrives to Mary announcing the coming of the Messiah, we know the Spirit is at work there. When people come to faith in Jesus in the New Testament, when you came to faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God was working there. And we want to be a church where the Spirit of God is working here. He is the difference maker, making a difference in our lives. And so we, church, want to highlight that. We want to live empowered by the Spirit of God. We want to trust Him with all that we are. And today is just a foundational sermon. But next, we're going to, we're going to jump into the work, the specific kind of work the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. So, church, I want us to buckle our seatbelts in the weeks ahead and just be thrilled about all that God wants to teach us as a church family. Church, we are different, and that's a good thing. The world may not recognize us, and that's okay. But the Spirit of God lives in us, and that gives us opportunity then to represent him in all that we do. He makes truly all the difference. Let's pray. Yes, God, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our lives. We thank you for giving us the eyes of faith, for regenerating us, making us new, making us born again through faith in Jesus. Spirit of God, we praise you that in us and through us, you are exalting the name of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And Jesus, we pray that you would be lifted high among us. Oh, Father. We ask that we at the brook would glorify you in all that we do, that we be those who are truly surrendered and dependent upon you. And God, we ask that, Lord, we, we just ask that we would not be the same. So make us conscientious of what you're doing in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise to our feet, church, as we close in this final song. God for his spirit. We are weak, aren't we? But his spirit is strong in us. 
want us to go out this week with that confidence and that strength, knowing that the Spirit is with you, children of God. The Spirit is with you. He will empower you. You are never alone. Jesus, uh, God's word says this in Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Go out in that power and that word. You are dismissed. Church family, we'll see you all this week at Real Communities.